Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. This might be a hot take. This might be this might be unpopular. I love afternoon baseball on a Wednesday. Yes, bring it on. The Brewers played at 11.35 this morning. Pre-game got started at 11 on WKTY. I know that's right in the middle of a work day or a school day or whatever you, uh, however you spend your time on a weekday, right? I love it. It's one of my favorite things. The Brewers won today 1-0. Uh, over the Reds, and this is actually the first time this week we've had an opportunity to talk here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY, the Wisco Sports Show, of course, presented by Played Against Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. I hope you're having a tremendous day if you're a Brewers fan. You've already got your excitement out of the way with, right? The Brewers won 1-0 behind a, a tremendous Freddie Peralta start, and last week, the last time we were talking on this program was Thursday. Uh, possibly Friday, I, I don't remember. But I remember leaving you, whatever, whatever day that it was, I remember leaving you saying, man, I can't wait to watch Freddie Peralta pitch. Man, I'm excited to see what Freddie Peralta does. Because I, saw, I, I thought last year we saw a lot of raw ability. We saw a lot of raw talent. And when I've talked about Freddie Peralta, and you can go back uh, and check last week's shows if, if you want to hold me to this, I said, look, I don't think Freddie Peralta is the most complete pitcher. I don't know if he's the most technically sound pitcher, his arm just has juice. There's something about it. His pitch comes out of his hand differently. It's something you see with Josh Hader. Josh Hader throws two pitches. Well, for this year, he's basically only thrown one, but he has that slider in his arsenal as, as well. Now, Freddie Peralta had a good strikeout, a good called strikeout against Joey Votto, one of 11, by the way, in eight shutout innings of work today for Freddie Peralta. He had one curveball that I saw that really stuck in the zone uh, and, and confused and uh, surprised Joey Votto, who's, let's be real, one of the most patient, uh, one of the best when it comes to being disciplined, one of the best when it comes to drawing walks. Not a guy you see strike out very often, let alone strike out looking. So Freddie did have a curveball today that I saw at least one pitch, but mostly fastball slider. And I said last week, I, I think he, he's got a lot of raw talent and ability, and the ball just comes out of his arm different. Just some juice there. Well, and last week it was obviously a horrible look for me. I tweeted about it, uh, making fun of myself a little bit, at Keystroker Grant. You can find me on Twitter. And saying, hey, remember what I said about Freddie Peralta a couple hours ago? Yeah, you can just forget that. Because <laughs> he, he was bad, right? I believe it was it was three innings, four runs. Uh, and that is their one and only loss was Freddie Peralta's start last week. Since then, the Brewers have been 6-1. and one. And what we talked about, or I shouldn't say since then, but all things uh, included, they are now 6-1. and one. They have the day off tomorrow, uh, and then they'll turn around and, and start a series against the Cubs. We're a very smart group, I'd like to think, on the show. Not, not me, but our listeners and the people we have interacting on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. It's 608-796-2558. The whole community that makes up the show. And really, I mean, I don't want to speak for Dave and Scrady, but I think all of our listeners here on WKTY, we like to figure things out. We like to solve puzzles. We like to, to not only react to sports and what happens to our teams here in Wisconsin, but we like to try to figure out why and maybe what we can expect in the future, right? We're, we're, we want to break things down. That's why we're here. I think we hit the nail on the head last week. We were talking about how the Brewers' bullpen is not what it was last year, at least at this point in the season. They could have guys who step up and, and become uh, great pitchers or even stars. But as of right now, Josh Hader is 
the A-plus guy, and then it's everyone else, at least until Jeremy Jeffers comes back. And in lieu of that, we decided last week that the offense is going to have to step up and help out the bullpen. Maybe not every night, but more often than they did last year, more often than not. And along those same lines, starting pitching is now going to become a lot more important, right? Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Yolisha Seen, Zach Davies. The rotation is going to have to carry a little bit more of the load. No doubt last year, the bullpen carried more than their fair share of innings as outgetters, as Craig Council liked to call them last year, right? Well, this year, the team is constituted a little differently. There's a lot more talent, young talent, especially ascending talent, in that starting rotation, less so in the bullpen. So the Brewers have to approach it and get meaningful play from different parts of their lineup that we didn't see last year. They're going to need to score more runs. Their starters are going to have to go deeper into games, at least until they get Jeremy Jeffers back and maybe find or acquire, we've been talking about Craig Kimbrell, I don't think it's likely, but or their bullpen improves in some fashion, right? We nailed it. We hit we hit the nail on the head last week with everything we talked about. The Brewers sit at 6-1, and one, and their only loss was the Freddie Peralta game, where he went three innings, allowed four runs. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Paul Goldschmidt was just out of his damn mind. He had three home runs, wrecked the game. That happens every once in a while. We talked uh, uh, just two weeks ago about John Morant and Marquette and how Marquette was upset in the first round by Murray State. And I said, look, sometimes a player, especially in college basketball, even more so than in baseball, Sometimes one player can just take over the game, and there's really not a whole lot you can do about it because at least on that particular night or during that particular week or that stretch of the season, that player's got it going on, and there's really nothing you can do about it. Paul Goldschmidt at Miller Park, sometimes it just feels like there's nothing the Brewers can do about it, right? That's the one exception. Since then, the Brewers have had starters going deeper into games. Today is a tremendous example. The best example of a small seven-game sample size is Freddie Peralta going eight innings. With 11 strikeouts and no walks. We talked about Freddie Peralta needing to get his control a little bit better. Needing to pound the strike zone a little bit more and avoid walks. And not dig himself into holes. He did exactly that today. He did exactly that. Helped out the bullpen, which has been a little bit taxed. And when I saw Freddie Peralta made it through eight innings, I'm thinking, are they just going to let him finish it? Because let's be real, you take Josh Hader out of the equation. Who would you rather ride with, Brewers fans? little hypothetical. Who would you rather ride with? Freddie Peralta, who's been dealing. Right? He exited, I believe, with 100 pitches today. I'll check that uh, so we can be sure after the next break. But I believe he exited with 100 pitches, about 70% of which were strikes. If I remember the numbers correctly, it was 100 pitches, 73 strikes. Or do you want to go with some unknown? Well, they ended up going with Alex Wilson, who we don't know a whole lot about yet, right? And he, he got the job done. I thought they just might let Freddie go all nine and see if he can close it out. Because I think Craig Council maybe would be just as comfortable as few and far between. Do we actually see Craig Council allow a guy to go nine innings? I I thought today might be an instance because I I don't know if if Craig Council actually trusted a guy outside of Josh Hader in that bullpen more than Freddie Peralta, even though he was sitting in 100 pitches, which isn't out of this world, but can be problematic when the pitch count gets that high. Right, I, I thought Freddie Peralta might actually go all nine. But nonetheless, today he goes eight innings, helps out that tax bullpen. Throughout uh, the first seven games, the first couple of series, the Brewers' offense ha- has gotten going. Obviously, Christian Yelich in the first four games, and that's continued as well. The home run numbers haven't been there, but hitting for extra base hits, clutch hitting late in games, Ryan Braun, which I love me some Ryan Braun, clutch hitting late in games, and Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain, some clutch fielding as well in defense, which we saw last year. But the Brewers, no doubt, would like to continue into this season as well. We've seen success. We have seen help 
coming from other parts of this roster outside of the bullpen. Last year, the bullpen was their ride or die, right? They're going to handle most of the innings, most of the high-pressure situations. This year, we don't really know yet. We're only in seven games, but we're minus Corey Knebel. We're minus Jeremy Jeffress. Corbin Burns is now in the starting rotation. Some departures, some injuries, some changes, and now all of a sudden that bullpen isn't the monster that was just a couple of months ago. The Brewers are going to have to find other ways to win. That's what I want to talk about. Look, I don't love the Brewers' bullpen. I don't think it's nearly as big of a problem as people are making it out to be. I want to continue that conversation. You can join me on the Five Star Telecom talking text line. 608-796-2558 is the number to do so. When we come back, I just want to calm everyone down. I want to douse the flames a little bit about this Brewers' miserably poor, bad bullpen. Yeah, we just talked about how, yeah, the offense might have to help them out. The starting rotation might have to help them out. But it's not like they're dealing with minor league players in that bullpen. I want to put some things into perspective when we come back regarding the Brewers' bullpen and regarding their relief pitching. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Play It Again Sports, back in a moment here on WKTY. Yeah, I mean, his, his fastball was outstanding. Um, you know, we talked before the game, he just pounded the zone with strikes. It was it was in the right part of the strike zone. It was just up. You know, he just consistently threw it up in the strike zone. And uh, he didn't have a ground put ball put on the ground. Um, so it, was, it turns into strikeouts and, you know, for the most part, some, some harmless fly balls. There's Craig Council analyzing, breaking down Freddie Peralta's masterful performance today. He went eight innings, 11 strikeouts. No runs. The Brewers win one to nothing. And they sweep the uh, the Cincinnati Reds. The supposedly much improved Cincinnati Reds. And I think the Reds are much better than last year. I was expecting hopefully a little bit more excitement in the in their first matchup. But the Brewers moved to 6-1, 1-2-0. Uh, the, uh, the shutout and the final score from today's, uh, from their, well, 11-35 uh, the game got started. So some afternoon baseball, 1-0 the final score. That's all we got. One Damn hit. Well, more than more than one hit, only one run, but that was all that was necessary. Manny Pena with the only RBI, and it came after a balk. So not exactly, not exactly a super exciting, uh, fireworks worthy one run uh, that was the only run of the game scored at Great American Ballpark. But all that was needed, nonetheless. The Brewers moved to six to one, and we're talking about a couple of different things. We talked last week, and I think this holds very true. I think we hit the nail right on the head on the Wisco Sports Show, and that is. The Brewers' bullpen is not what it was last year. So the offense, so the the starting pitchers are going to have to shoulder a little bit more load. Is it going to be a drastic adjustment? No, I don't think so. But now Craig Council probably not comfortable pulling his starting pitcher in the middle of the fourth inning or, or halfway through the fifth. A little bit of reluctance there. There's probably a little bit of a feeling, man, can we get one more inning out of your Luis Chassin? Well, where last year... I think that feeling and that sentiment was felt almost never from Craig Council. He wanted to get to that bullpen because that's where his best arms were. That's where his most talented players were. And as a manager, he's not doing his job if he doesn't get those guys on the field. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports. Uh, You're listening to WKTY. We are idle tonight. No Brewers. No Bucks, I believe. I have that right. I'll double check that. I have been wrong a hundred times. Last week, we had a million different things going on with March Madness. I'm finishing my show at 5.55 saying Bucks are up next. Uh, Stay with us all night on WKTY only to turn my mic off and and to look just a couple of clicks ahead to notice we have college basketball on and the Bucks are over on Wisdom. So I'm 
I'm going to double check everything to make sure I'm not missing anything because last week was very hectic. Uh, we're back in a little bit more of a routine this week. But we do have Brewers back. They'll be off tomorrow uh, before starting a, a, a weekend series or a weekend series of sorts uh, against the Cubs. People are flipping out about the bullpen. They are, I don't want to say panicking, but there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of worries pointed in the direction of the Brewers relievers in that bullpen. And I look, it's not nearly what it was last year, at least at this point in the season. They could get close to that without Corey Knebel and without Corbin Burns. I mean, they're obviously down huge, huge players. Those two players aren't coming back this year. Jeremy Jeffers, hopefully. And we'll see what becomes of all the other guys who are on the roster who we are still uh, becoming acquainted with only seven games in. I'm here to douse the Flames just a little bit and say, yeah, the Brewers bullpen isn't great. It's not what it was last year, but I don't think it's a huge concern. I don't think it is the worry that everybody is making it out to be. And I have three reasons. One is really big. The other two are, are, are more bullet points uh, that aren't quite as big. It, let, let, let's not bury the lead. Let's start with the number one reason. Look, you look around the MLB, all the teams, and let's talk about the 90%. Right, Last year, the 10% when it came to the bullpen was Milwaukee, and it was the Yankees. And that was it. Those two teams were in a class of their own. They boasted depth in their bullpen. They boasted excellence that no other teams could. So let's talk about the 90%, not the 10. What does a start? What does a pitching staff as a whole look like for 90% of the teams in the league? You like to have an ace. You like to have that clear cut number one starter. You like to have a little bit of depth behind him. Typically, a pitching staff is filled out with an ace. A free agent or or a veteran who has maybe bounced around. Brewers have had a ton of these guys, right? It doesn't take very long. Right now, it's Yoli Shasin, who also happens to be their ace. Look at guys like Chase Anderson. Going back even farther, a guy like Kyle Loesch. Starting pitchers who have bounced around a little bit uh, past their first team. That's what the starting pitching looks like. Then you look at the bullpen. You, you need a closer. Right? Teams that have an electric lockdown closer who they're very comfortable with are in a good spot. And that's not every team. Not every team feels great about their closer. After that, whatever you have after your closer is icing on the cake. Whether you can boast a great setup man, maybe you have a a unique player. With the Reds, I think Michael Lorenzen is an interesting case. A guy who could probably start a game. Uh, He could give you a couple innings. He could pinch hit for you. He could pinch run. He's just kind of that outlier player. A lot of teams have have a guy like that. Last year for the Brewers, it was Corey Knable. This year, I think Junior Guerra is going to fill that role. You might have your great closer. You maybe have a great setup man. You might have that utility player. But very few teams are able to boast all of those guys. Think about the Milwaukee Brewers for a minute from last year. Think about that bullpen. Not only did they have not only a great closer, but perhaps the best closer in baseball in Jeremy Jeffress. But they had Josh Hader, who might be the all-around best pitcher in baseball right now. Certainly all-around best pitcher uh, as in, in a relief role. And it's just icing on Josh Hader's individual cake that he can go multiple innings uh, or he can close down a game and and end an inning in nine pitches with three strikeouts, right? And then on top of that, the Brewers were able to boast, oh yeah, we have Corey Knebel, who's also closed games. Three guys last year the Brewers had in their bullpen who were capable of closing games for 95% of the teams around the league. Three! And outside those three electric relievers who were all very versatile in their own right. Could go multiple innings if necessary. Corey Knebel was great cleaning up for the starting pitcher. But then they were also able to post Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. Two guys who one day 
hope to be starting pitchers, project to be great starting pitchers, but aren't quite there yet, so we're going to use them in middle relief. And Corbin Burns, let's not get this twisted. He was incredible in short doses. In one inning, you need one inning from Corbin Burns, he's your guy. He doesn't need to go multiple innings to show his worth. The Brewers' bullpen last year, and I don't think that we often understand how great it actually was. And yeah, the Brewers have their closer right now in Josh Hader, and hopefully when they get Jeremy Jeffers back, they'll have a closer and their setup man. Bing, bang, boom. You have two huge pieces that is the goal of a lot of Major League Baseball, right? We want our closer, and once we have that, let's look for a setup man, and, and once we get there, we're, we're pretty good. Last year, the Brewers were able to boast that, plus another elite closer-level pitcher, plus middle relief. And, and I hear a lot of Brewers fans talking about and calling and texting the station and tweeting Brewers need to, to to boost their middle relief. They have nothing in terms of middle relief. Nobody has anything in terms of middle relief. Last year was such a weird, wacky outlier for the Brewers. Having Corbin Burns? Are you kidding me? If Corbin Burns was put on other teams, he would have either been a starting pitcher or he would have been a setup man or even a closer because that's how great he was last year outside of Game 2 against the Dodgers when he had his one and only rough outing of the year. Nobody is able to boast middle relief like that. Last year was last year. I, I don't like it, and I don't want to say it to Brewers fans, but you got to let it go. Because very, it's very not likely to use, just just to butcher the, the English language. It's not likely at all that the Brewers are ever going to be in a situation where they have their closer, have their setup man, they just have an extra closer, just because why not? Oh yeah, and it also timed out where maybe the best homegrown pitcher ever to come out of the Brewers system, and that's what some have said about Corbin Burns, is also in lieu in his career right now. He's not in the minors, but he's not in the starting rotation, so let's use him in the bullpen. It was a perfect storm of the most epic proportions last year for the Brewers' bullpen. And now the Brewers have regressed to the mean, and they're very similar to the rest of the league. We need to work on our middle... No, Junior Guerra is your middle relief, and that's as good as it's going to get, because last year, that's not happening again. It's just not. Last year was last year. So we need to compare the Brewers of 2019 to the rest of Major League Baseball of 2019, not the Brewers of 2018. And along those same lines, let's look at last year's Brewers. This is point number two. Point number one is, like I said, the the biggest point. Point number two is last year, and why I thought Craig Council very easily could have been, I'm not going to say should have been the manager of the year, is because he drew up game plans and strategized based on the players that he had which was an incredible bullpen, an okay starting lineup, and a pretty good offense. And he managed in a style that catered to the players that he had. Now this year, the roster looks different. You're without Jeremy Jeffers right now. You're going to be without Corey Knebel. You don't have Corbin Burns. You don't have Brandon Woodruff. The team is different. You have a bigger emphasis on offense. You have put stock into your starting rotation, even though you didn't spend a dime, even though you didn't make a trade. You elevated guys who you think have the goods and you prioritize the starting rotation over the bullpen. That's just what you did. So now there's an emphasis on starting pitching. There's an emphasis on the offense and the bullpen has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. So why should Craig Council and the Brewers as a whole try to play with a style and try to manage with a style that they used last year? The team's different. It's a different team. Talent is scattered in different places. Like I said, Corbin Burns and company are now in the starting rotation. They're not in the bullpen. Corey Canable's hurt. Jeremy Jeffers is hurt. This team looks differently. It looks different. So Craig Council should manage it differently. 
Because if the Brewers make another playoff run this year, it's going to be different. They're going to do it differently. They're going to beat different teams, and different players are going to get hot at different times. It's a 100% new year, and I, and I don't know if that's what Craig Council means when he says this team is going to make its own mark. 2018 was awesome. This team is going to, to write its own story. The team looks different. There's a lot of familiar faces, but some are playing in different spots. Some are injured. The Brewers roster and the Brewers lineup is constructed much differently than last year. So to ask Craig Council to manage in the style that he managed last year wouldn't be smart, and that would not be a good managing move by Craig Council. That's what made him so great last year. Is he tweaked the way that the game is normally managed to fit his players, to fit his situation? And to ask Craig Council to do the same this year with different players with a different situation just wouldn't make any sense. Craig Council should manage differently. This Brewers team should play differently, and so far they have. They're 6-1 with a great emphasis on starting pitching and on offense just like we talked about last year. Oh, and also, and by the way, this is more of a footnote, but there is more turnover in Major League Baseball than any other sport in American professional sports. And and possibly because there's just so many different players at so many different positions, right? You have your starting pitchers, and you have your infielders, you have your outfielders, you have your pinch hitters and your utility players, you have your relief pitchers, middle relief, setup, closer, all sorts of different players in different positions. Oh, and by the way, you have a, a much larger uh, portion of players in your minor league system than the NBA has in the G League, right? The NFL doesn't have a developmental league. There's so much turnover year to year to year. We haven't gotten to know a lot of these guys yet. We're seven games in. Brewers are six and one. Today, Alex Wilson got the save. What are, What is Alex Wilson going to be on this team? What are we going to learn about some of these offseason acquisitions or, or uh, uh, promotions? from the minor leagues, or guys who just swap spots on the roster from the bullpen to the starting rotation, or, or vice versa. We have a lot to learn about this Brewers team. So to say that their bullpen is awful and they need to address a need in the bullpen, we might think that right now, but that could very well change next week. It could change in a month. It's certainly, I think, going to change in a couple of months or near the All-Star break. Yeah, the Brewers' bullpen is not as great as it was last year. And I don't think it is ever going to be that great in my lifetime, at least not for a long time, because a lot of things came together to create the perfect storm, a collection of talent, both young and old, of all different types and skills in that bullpen last year. That's not happening again. So let's not act like the Brewers should always strive for that. And anything less than that is incompetence. Because that's just not the case. Do I worry about the Brewers' bullpen? Yeah, I, I, a little bit. Especially when Josh Hader's not available. But they got the day off tomorrow. They start a weekend series with the Cubs, and hopefully everybody's good to go. Especially after today, because Freddie Peralta gave that starting or that bullpen a huge shot in the arm by only asking them to get three outs, one to zero. They beat the Reds uh, today. It was it was oddly enough, it was a big day for the Green Bay Packers as well. A couple of names, you you know the the expression, just when I'm out, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Well, today, two familiar faces stomping into the Packers news sphere once again uh, uh, in just a loud and proud way. That's Jordy Nelson, and that's Mike McCarthy. We'll tackle them both coming up as the Wisco Sports Show rolls on, presented by Play It Again Sports right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show, courtesy of Played Against Sports, here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. You can always find the show at 96.7 FM or 580 AM or streaming live on our mobile app or at WKTYsports.com. I hope you're having a tremendous Wednesday. 
We've been talking a lot of Brewers, specifically the concerns in the bullpen. And I'm saying, I know it's the weakest part of their team as of right now, and that could change. But some part of the team has got to be the weakest. I don't think they're that miserably bad. I just think their bullpen last year was that tremendous. Uh, Ryan chimes in and says, agreed, not a huge concern. The group besides JJ and Hader actually had a solid spring, and I would agree. And there are a couple guys at AAA that could be the next version of Burns or Woodruff call-up for middle-inning experience. And when Nelson returns, somebody has to move back to the pen. Ryan, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, and I agree 100%. 608-796-2558. You can join me on the Five Star Telecom talk and text line. I, and Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns are a great example last year of how a roster can evolve uh, and, and be fluid throughout the year. Right now, the bullpen looks different than it probably will in a couple of months because the Brewers, I'm sure, would love to have some of that young pitching talent in their minor league system be so great that they have no choice but to call them up and no choice but to make them part of the bullpen or, or give the starting rotation a shot in the arm. You never know what can happen over the course of the next couple of months. But as of right now, you need one part of your team to be the weakest. Right now, it's the bullpen, and I think it seems a lot worse to everybody when compared to last year because it was just that good. It was a perfect storm of a lot of different factors working together. Oddly enough, we sit here on April 3rd and we're getting ready to talk some Packers and we're not talking about the draft. We're not, well, what else would we talk about? We're not talking about the draft. <laughs> Look at it that way. We're not even talking about players or, or people who work for the Packers, coach for the Packers, or play for the Packers anymore. I want to start with Jordy Nelson. I'm sure a lot of you saw the story. Jordy Nelson joined the Dan Patrick show this morning, which you may have heard here on WK2I. The Brewers pregame started at 11. Uh, so you missed out on Bill. You didn't miss out on any Dan this morning in the Danettes. But they had Jordy Nelson on. Something that I always notice about Dan Patrick is he is a tremendous interviewer in leaving the door open for the interviewee to go in any direction that they please, Right. A lot of times when I am conducting an interview or I have a guest and, I, and I'm trying to talk about a specific topic, I will fall into the trap of, this is what I think X, Y, and Z. This is what happened. See, I'm right. What do you think? How does that, how does that hit you? I'm kind of dictating where the conversation is going, right? I'm kind of dictating how uh, the interviewee has to answer the question. Dan Patrick is really, really good at simply asking, well, what about this? Now, the interviewee could could play it off with humor. Uh, they could get real serious for a moment and, and kind of surprise everyone. Or they could do any mix of both. Uh, it, open door interviewing is always the best. They had Jordy Nelson on this morning, uh, and, and he joined them over the phone, so you don't have the, the facial cues. You don't have the body language to go off. But they asked, what if Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers call you, let's say in late July, and they're like, Jordy, we want you to come back and play. How would you respond to that? It wasn't, how much money would it take for you to come back? Or is Green Bay the only place you would return to? It was, what would you do? It was very open-ended. And I think at the beginning, and you can tell by the way Jordy answers, I'm not sure he expected the question or, or was ready to answer it, but I, but his his answer was really interesting. Check this out. Oh, um, that'll be an interesting phone call. Yeah, I don't know. That will be, I don't think I could play hypotheticals, but if he truly called in, uh, I'm not going to say begging me to come back, but asking me to come back and their need. It, it probably would be hard to say no. Listen, listen to this one more time. The first couple of seconds, we all know what happens when you get asked a question. Uh, it, it could be like a would you rather situation. You're just messing around. Or or somebody asks you a, a tough question uh, about a 
something that's going on at work and you're supposed to know and you don't, or if you're a student, a group member in your group project texts you and says, hey, hey, what's going on here? And you don't really know. Listen to how slowly he gets going. He says, I don't know. And then there's a two-minute pause, which isn't a long time unless it's an over-the-phone interview. Two seconds is a long time. One more time. Oh, um, that'll be an interesting phone call. Yeah, I don't know. That will be- Two seconds. Two seconds of Xylas before he answers a question. Now, I'm not out here to play a uh, detective and try to figure out what's going on in his mind. I, I don't really care, to be honest. I-, I think he said all that needed to be said, and that was, man, if the Packers called... How interesting would that be? That would be an interesting situation. It would be tough to say no because that sounds uh, that sounds great. I, I think he said all that we need to hear. The, the question isn't on Jordy Nelson's end. It's on the end uh, of the Green Bay Packers. And of course, when this came out today, the all the members of the green and gold color guard, uh, the Packers media and the Packers media that tells us how to feel and what we should think and what we shouldn't think, to some extent, right, your Jason Wildes of the world, your Mark Tauschers of the world, Aaron Naglers of the world. And we talked on this show, this very show, on WKTY last week, about how if Jordy Nelson would be willing to come back and play for a year and retire as a Packer and be willing to do so at a number and on a one-year deal that doesn't hurt the team, hell yes, I don't care if Packers fans have emotionally gotten over it and, oh, no, we couldn't go through this again. Well, tough. I want to win football games. Your emotions as a fan don't win or lose football games. Players on the field do, or lack thereof, players on the field in terms of losing football games. Jordy Nelson wants to come back, and he would do so on a one-year deal that's team-friendly and that's not going to inhibit or hamper uh, the Packers down the line. 100% I'm doing that, yes. And what's really interesting is all these tweets today, uh, like I said, from the Jason Wildes of the world, and from uh, Aaron Nagler was another one, Tweeting, oh boy, here come the Jordy Nelson people. Here comes Jordy Nelson back into the Packers cycle. I actually went and looked at Aaron Rodgers' Twitter today. He liked them all. You know, you can go on Twitter and you can go to someone's profile and see what tweets they have liked. Oh yeah. Aaron Rodgers throwing likes around. Two members of the Packer media who were talking about Jordy Nelson. It's interesting. It doesn't mean anything per se. I think Aaron Rodgers would love to have Jordy back. But I think Aaron, much more so than I or you or anyone who's listening or on Twitter and seeing this content knows the state of the Green Bay Packers and exactly where their head is uh, in terms of player acquisition and free agents and trades and drafts. He knows a lot more of that stuff than we do. We can only speculate. But it's it's fun to talk about. I would 100% pay Jordy Nelson to come back if he wanted. If you call Jordy, Brian Gudikins picks up the phone and calls Jordy Nelson. Or maybe Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he has Aaron Rodgers do it. I think that would be odd. I, I don't know if, if I was a general manager, if I'd want another player uh, calling and asking questions in, unless it's some sort of recruiting thing. Maybe as Aaron Rodgers do it, though. Says, Jordy, man, this year we got a lot going on. We got some young players. We're transitioning in uh, some new free agents. First time Green Bay Packers. We got a lot of draft picks. We're going to have a lot of young players. And we got a first-year head coach. What do you say coming back and helping us work through this thing and help bringing the Packers back to what they were when you were in Green Bay? That would probably be my pitch. Man, why would Jordy Nelson say no? We had we had somebody text the show last week. You can reach me if you want to talk Packers, you want to talk Jordy Nelson. We're going to be talking Mike McCarthy here in about 10 minutes. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text on. I had somebody text this show last week uh, and talking about the value of Jordy Nelson, talking about possibly, and this is all incredibly hypothetical, 
if the Packers wanted to bring him back, if Jordan Nelson wanted to now come out of retirement, said, well, who you got to cut because you need a roster space? And I said, uh, easy, Jamon Moore, 100%. <laughs> like, that's not a conversation I need to have. If Jordan Nelson wants to come back this year, I will cut Jamon Moore straight up, and I will not lose any sleep over it. Because out of those two, uh, out of those three wide receivers they drafted two years ago in the draft, uh, or last year, I should say, they're going into their second year. When you drafted them, you're probably thinking, if they hit on one, if they hit on two, that's great. But they're probably not going to hit on all three. It's just the nature of the draft. Oh, 100%, I'd take Jordy Nelson back. 100%. Even if you put him on some kind of snap count like we saw with Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, use him in the red zone. Use him on third down. Use him as a transition tool, as a leader to usher in these younger wide receivers, to complement Devontae Adams, and maybe be a supplement in the passing game in the slot or or where line him up outside. I don't care where you line him up. Wherever there's room the Packers are in a state of transition right now at just about every level. Their front office was reorganized. Their GM is now heading into their second year. They have a first-year head coach, new coordinators, and they had a lot of young players who are about to be the centerpieces of this team. Gone is the Clay Matthews and the Nick Perrys of the world, and on their way in are Jair Alexander and Kenny Clark. On the offensive side of the ball, Jordy is gone. Randall Cobb is gone. And in are coming the likes of Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown. And Devontae Adams is now a superstar in his own right. A lot of transition. And sometimes, you know, we say this jokingly, sometimes to go forward, you have to move backward, right? I, look, if Jordy Nelson is truly sincere about what he said this morning, I'm absolutely calling him. In fact, I think it would be negligent for Brian Gutekinds to not make that phone call. It's a phone call. How often do we talk about you got to be in on every situation. You got to inquire on everyone. You got to be in on all of the free agents and all the people available in trades. How is this any different? Am I the only one? I'm not even that big of a Jordy Nelson fan. I would not lose a damn bit of sleep if he retired right now and never played football again. I would not care. This is not emotional for me. This is me wanting the Packers to make a move that, if it is available, will help them win football games. We talked a couple weeks ago about how the, how the term locker room guy, I don't like to bring in guys just because they're locker room guys. I want to win football games. I want to win baseball games. My fandom is set upon my team winning, not upon my team having the best social media posts, right, or, or the best heartwarming stories, of which Jordy Nelson is definitely one. I want to win football games, and I believe in my heart of hearts and more importantly in my mind because that's where the, the critical thinking goes on. I believe that Jordy Nelson will make the Packers a better team this year. I believe he will help lubricate things between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. I think he'll help mature some of these younger wide receivers by taking a little bit of pressure off them here and there, and I think he's a great insurance policy should anyone in that receiving core get injured because let's be real, if Devontae Adams goes down right now, they're screwed. If Geronimo Allison goes down right now, they're in the same boat they were last year, which isn't great. Oh, and if both of those players miss time, well, now you're counting on three sophomore wide receivers in St. Brown, Valdez-Scantling, and more, who, remember the last time that a sophomore wide receiver, who we all thought was going to be great and turned out to be, was pushed into action too early in his second year? Yeah, that was Devontae Adams, and he had a miserable year to the point where fans wanted him cut. Let's learn from the past a little bit. I don't want Jordy Nelson back. If Jordy Nelson never played a snap for the Green Bay Packers up until this point, I still think he could make this team better. I think he can make this team even better because he knows Aaron Rodgers, because he's got connections, because I think he would help lubricate and help to mature some of the younger pieces who are now on their way in, on their way up. 
to becoming centerpieces on this Packers team. I think it's a no-brainer, and it's definitely a phone call that Brian Gutekind should make, even if it's a short-lived phone call, and it's laughed off, and it's and it's left with, okay, well, we just wanted to check if your mind changes, get back to us, uh, and hope to talk to you soon. If that's how the phone call ends, it's fine. It's a win. It's doing your due diligence, and it's a general manager's job. When we come back, Mike McCarthy did a huge... Highly uh, uh, touted expose, to put it dramatically, with Jason or Rob Domovsky of ESPN. I'll share with you some really interesting details if you haven't had a chance to check that out. As we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show, coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show, brought to you by Played Again Sports, right here on WKTY. By the way, I took a moment to check. The Bucks don't play tonight. I had it right. Thank you. Yes, they play the Sixers tomorrow, uh, which is what I thought. And with the Brewers being off tomorrow, you can hear that game right here on WKTY. So now we're all caught up. We know what's going on. We know everything that's going on. We have our feet uh, under us. Uh, speaking of somebody who's got their feet under them, at least hopefully now, that's Mike McCarthy. Last night... This all happened so quickly. Last night, uh, Rob Domovsky tweeted out, well, I guess on all of his social media channels and on ESPN.com, too, who he writes for uh, is the Packers beat writer for ESPN, saying, I sat down with Mike McCarthy for the first time since his firing to do an extended interview, right? Uh, And the one teaser quote that he gave us to tease the article, what, 12 hours before or however long it was, was it couldn't have been handled any worse, of course, regarding the, the, the Packers firing of um, of Mike McCarthy. So you saw that, and you're like, holy balls, here comes the haymakers for Mike McCarthy. He's taking shots on his way out the door. Well, after reading the article this morning, that really didn't turn out to be the case. That was the most incendiary thing said in the entire article, was it couldn't have been handled any worse. And it was surrounded by a lot of context and surrounded by a lot of details, which I think help fans and, and help uh, people who are trying to get a vibe on this situation, uh, helping them out just a little bit more. So let's uh, a couple of the questions. It was a long interview. I'm not going to play it for you or read you the whole interview. There were a couple answers that that I always found interesting that I thought were interesting this morning. I was actually kind of disappointed by the article. The, the exposés never seem to live up to the expectations. You're always thinking there's more going on, and there just isn't. There were pictures of Mike McCarthy sitting in front of uh, some big computer monitors, you know, checking out film using the software to kind of keep his head in the game figuratively and literally uh, because as a coach taking a season off, obviously you you maybe lose some of that mental acuity, that knowledge for the game. I don't know. I've never been a football coach before, but like anything else, like going to class, like doing a job every day, you take a couple of days off or in Mike McCarthy's case, an entire year. Uh, yeah. You, your skills could dullen just a little bit. So that was, that, that was the only image. Uh, the one answer that everybody's going to gravitate towards and the one question, the one portion of this interview was Rob Domovsky asking the ending. Many people thought you deserved a better ending. Do you agree? Drum roll, right? Like that, like Rob Domovsky had that in his back pocket. And, you know, he talked about his family, he talked about his wife and, and how life has been since then. But he knew, all right, let's get to let's get to the meat of this thing. And then he threw that question out there. The ending. People thought you deserved a better ending in Green Bay. Do you agree? This is what McCarthy said. And I will Share it verbatim. I won't paraphrase. McCarthy said, obviously, it couldn't have been handled any worse. Anytime you lose a close game, it's a difficult time emotionally afterwards. But when you lose a home game at Lambeau Field in December, it's really hard. And that hasn't happened very often. 
I walked out of my press conference and I'm thinking about the game, thinking about how our playoff shot was now minimal. That's where my head was at. And when I was told Mark Murphy wanted to see me and the messenger was cold and the energy was bad, Mark said it was an ugly loss and it was time to make a change. He said something about the offense and the special teams and he didn't think it was going to get any better. There was no emotion to it. That was hard. That in and of itself, I think, is 100% fair. I, I think Mike McCarthy did reach a point where he deserved as much respect and as much, well, let's just say respect. Let's not go down any other roads. But he deserved to be treated as good as you can treat someone when you're about to give him the sack, right? Like he, like he was gone. Everybody knew it. How do you do it in, in the most respectful way? And I think Mike McCarthy has a, has a bit of a bone to pick there. But what I liked and what, I, what made me happy about this article was then McCarthy continued on when I was the head coach and when I had to do things, I took pride in the Green Bay organization and did things differently. This is what he said. Every time I released an individual, you get your words right. There was a personal component to it. You know he has a family. He is family. There wasn't any of that. So that was off. The way people leave the building was very important to me. That's a part of the business. Hopefully guys moving forward like Clay and Randall and Nick Perry and Jordy Nelson and TJ Lang, it's important for them to leave the right way. That way represents the Green Bay Packers standard, and I tried to uphold it every day. I love Mike McCarthy so much because even though in this interview, and and keep in mind, this is a little bit filtered. Like if you were to get Mike McCarthy at a bar with his friends, he probably wouldn't word it like this. This is a little bit more strategic. He's being respectful to the Green Bay Packers because, yeah, he he wants another job, right? But there is a, a certain element to this, and you see this in everything that he does, that he took pride 100% in being the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Everything they stand for, everything the organization is about, what they do, the way they do it. Got to get your words right. You got to be personal. Realize that not only this player or this employee has a family, but he's part of my family, too got to treat it a different way and that last line that way represents the Green Bay Packers standard that I tried to uphold every day even when Mike McCarthy is still falling on the sword you know how many times Mike McCarthy had to stand at the podium for Ted Thompson because Ted didn't want to do media so McCarthy had to answer he had to be the face for every bad decision or good decision at times that Ted Thompson made he had to field questions about his relationship with Aaron Rodgers. He had to field questions about why their draft picks weren't panning out or why they made a certain trade, even though he wasn't in on it at all. And I know that with 100% certainty because when Mike McCarthy has had the option or had the opportunity floated to take care of personnel, he didn't want anything to do with it. He had the Arizona Cardinals job and a young quarterback and a lot of draft picks had he just wanted control of personnel because they offered that to him too. And he said, nuh-uh. Even when Mike McCarthy continues to fall on the sword over and over and over and over and over again for the Green Bay Packers, an organization that he should probably despise, let's be real. Aside from all the great memories and times that he had there, you shouldn't discount that. He is still saying, yeah, they do things a certain way, and I always tried to uphold that way throughout my entire time in Green Bay. And I don't know how much of that is tongue-in-cheek, how much of that is just him talking out as you-know-what because he wants another job, but outside of this interview, everything that Mike McCarthy has done since he was fired in December... And pure class, pure respect to his organization. And I I can definitely vibe with that. I definitely like that. I definitely love uh, to see that. And I hope him, hope he succeeds wherever he ends up. Uh, we'll end up back here tomorrow, same time, same place, right before the Bucks game. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports. Have a good night. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Visualize the inside of your garage. Here's-